We on? Okay, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. If you've not met me, my name's Stuart. I'm the leader of the church. Very warm welcome to you here today. If you've got a Bible, could you go to 2 Kings chapter 1? 2 Kings chapter 1. We will get there in just a moment. Um, we've been running the well-being course here at church to our life groups, which has been going fantastically. Um, we've been going through the book on our own personal time, and then we've been coming together weekly to watch the video and learn that, and it's been fantastic. I think I finished financial well-being today. We've got one more week starting tomorrow, and then we'll be done. It's been a great journey as a course, but we've got a week, a catch-up week planned after. So if you're behind, you've missed anything, we've still got opportunity to get, catch, get caught up. So please don't worry if you're behind or if your life group's a week behind. We've built some stuff in to help you to make sure that you get through this and learn from it and help process what's happened to us over the last couple of years um, as a church, as a nation, um, and as individuals, the whole COVID thing that's everything that's going on. But we're starting now, we're going back into our sermon series, um, looking at the life of Elijah. I was here last week, but in a disembodied form on the screen behind um, because of, you know, COVID, uh, etc. Um, but we've got this week, if I'm right, and then next week, and then we're done. We will have finished the series going through sort of the life of Elijah. If you've missed any, you can catch up. They're online. Uh, there's even video. This one also I recorded on Friday, just in case anything happened, which will be up as well. So you'll have a video one to watch or listen for catch up. So you can do that. Um, and so this has been running alongside our well-being course, which covers a lot of the life of Elijah and looking into him. Now, if you've been with us, you'll have heard some of the story about Elijah, who was a prophet of God in Israel, and Israel was in a rough shape at the time. They had a terrible king named Ahab, who had an even terribler wife named Jezebel, who were leading the kingdom into all sorts of false worship of the god Baal, and it was just, it was horrific at the time, and uh, Elijah was that lone voice trying to proclaim the goodness and the grace of God to the people, but they weren't listening, and we've gone through it all. But um, the last, last week, we looked at uh, the story of Elijah and Naboth, where King Ahab um, and his wife Jezebel conspired to murder a faithful Israelite in the land just so they could have his property and build their own portfolio and how Elijah um, spoke through that. But in chapter 22, if you're going through 1 Kings... Um, Elijah disappears from the narrative, and so we're going to skip over that chapter, and that's why we're in the beginning of 1 Kings today. But I just want to give you a little sort of recap of what happened in that chapter, just so you're aware of the story when we jump into the beginning of 2 Kings um, this morning. So Elijah leads the narrative, and it focuses on Ahab, who is this bad king. And what he does, and the long and the short of it, he's fighting um, enemies to the north of Israel, Syria, um, and a guy called King Jehoshaphat from the southern kingdom of Judah, because Israel had split into two kingdoms, had the northern kingdom and had the southern kingdom. They'd kind of worked together to try and fight off the uh, advance of the Syrians. And the, the Lord God delivered Israel, and it was great. There was a, a victory for them, but in the process, Ahab was killed in battle which kind of fulfills a prophecy Elijah gave to him about him being judged by God. So he is killed in battle. He is written out of the story. We see no more of Ahab. And what happens then is his son, Ahaziah, comes to the throne. And so at the end of 1 Kings, we have a little paragraph about King Jehoshaphat, who was in the southern kingdom, and he is a good king. He follows the Lord. He serves the Lord. And then we have a short paragraph about King Ahaziah, who is the king of the northern kingdom. And we read this, uh, 1 Kings 22, verse 51. It says, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned just two years in Israel. So it's not going to go well. He's only got a two-year reign. 
He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father and the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. So, (laughs) Ahab's dead. His son comes to the throne. All right, we've got a new era, a new start. What happens? Ahab Uh, Sorry, Ahab, son Ahaziah, is bad. In fact, he's worse than his father because he not only walks in the ways of his father, it says, and he walks in the way of his mother. And we know she wasn't a great example of motherhood, the conniving queen Jezebel. And so Ahaziah has come to the throne and he is even worse than the king who came before it. And the author of Kings has taken great pains to point out how bad Ahab was. The very first thing we read in this series was 1 Kings 16, and we read how bad Ahab was. And last week, when I read, uh, it was 1 Kings 21, again, it emphasized he was not a good king. And now his son has come to the throne, and he's even worse than his dad. So we've got an inkling of where this is going to go as we read the story. So big idea um, of of today's sermon is those who refuse to humble themselves before the Lord will face judgment. Those who refuse to humble themselves before the Lord will face judgment, but those who do humble themselves will find mercy. Those who do humble themselves will find mercy. So, we're going to get into two kings. Now, originally, one and two kings were one book. It was just called Kings. They split it up because of length due to scrolls, and that's been carried over into our modern Bibles. So we have one kings, two kings, but effectively, they just roll on. So as soon as you finish one kings, you roll straight into two kings, and the narrative, if you follow it, just doesn't pause. It just carries on. And so we're going to look at the first part of 2 Kings today, and there's a couple of things I want you to look out for as we go through the passage. It's a little bit of things you can do while the preacher is droning on, just to kind of keep yourself active. Some things to look out for. I want you to look for the contrast of the sin of pride versus the virtue of humility. The sin of pride and the virtue of humility. See where you can spot them in the passage. Pride is thinking of ourselves highly and putting ourselves in the place of God. That's what pride is. And humility is thinking of ourselves rightly and thinking of ourselves rightly before God. It's not thinking less of ourselves, it's just thinking of ourselves less and putting God in his right place and us in our right place. I also want you to look out for the image of ups and downs in the passage. They come up a lot. I counted, I think I got nearly 20. I don't think I quite got there. But I want you to look for the imagery of ups and downs in the passages. And they'll come up again and again in words but also in what's actually happening And what the author uses, he uses them positively and negatively. When he talks about things being up, high, lifted up, this can mean positively things about God. God is high and lifted up. He is exalted. He is the one who is above. He is the ruler and the reigner. So he is lifted up, and that's common biblical language. But it can also refer negatively to how man lifts themselves up in pride and puts themselves in the place of God. And there's also the imagery of down. And this has a positive side where God graciously comes down to us. We talk about even at Christmas, Jesus came down to Bethlehem. And that's that's a positive thing. Also, man can humble themselves before God where they bow down, they kneel down, they come down and they recognize he's God, I'm not. But it can also be used negatively and that is that sinful man can be brought down in judgment. Can be brought down in judgment um, by God. And there also, the third thing I want you to have a little look out for is the number of opportunities that King Ahaziah has to humble himself and repent, but he refuses to take. All right, if you've got your Bible, let's read the first few verses there. Two Kings 1, 
And we're just going to set the scene. It says this, after the death of Ahab, talked about that, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. Okay, two difficulties are facing this new king. First, Moab rebels against Israel, and the second, he has a domestic accident that involves falling through the roof somehow of his palace, we assume. Now, the rebellion of Moab is likely to due, due to the fact that Ahaziah was a weak king, and he's also injured as well, so he's unable to respond. And this is significant because Moab was um, an area outside Israel, another, uh, another nation that had been subject to Israel, uh, to Israel since the time of King David. And you have to go back to the beginning of 1 Kings and before into 1 and 2 Samuel to find David. So for a long time, Moab has been subject to Israel. And if you go back to the beginning of 1 Kings, it begins with a sick king, David. And now two kings begins with a sick king, Ahaziah. And the author is just looking back and saying there used to be a great king on the throne called David. And he subdued the enemies of Israel. And we've now got a weak king on the throne. And Israel's enemies are now rebelling against their rule. And so Moab is in rebellion. If you skip forward to chapter 3, you'll find out about that rebellion. And so in summary, what we have is we have a weak and sick king over a weak and sick kingdom. And it's, this is what's happening. And so we're going to dive into the passage, and I want to look at three questions as we go through. The first question is, how does Ahaziah respond to his suffering? The second one is, how does Ahaziah respond to God's word? And the third is, how does Ahaziah respond, sorry, how does the Lord respond to Ahaziah's actions? So there's the three things. First question, how does Ahaziah respond to his suffering? Let's read on. It says, so he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I will recover from this sickness. So, we have the leader of God's people, the leader of Israel, the king, the highest authority, who is in trouble in terms of politically, with rebellion on his borders, and personally, with sickness in his body. What does he do in time of a crisis? What should the king of God's people do in this time? They should cry out to the Lord. Lord, what shall I do? Give me wisdom. Help me defeat your enemies. What does he do? He cries out to the false god Baal. Now, we've met Baal many times in this uh, narrative looking at the life of Elijah, and here he comes again. And here he's referred to as Baal Zebub, which basically means the Lord of the Flies. It's believed by scholars to be a derogatory nickname, and it's a corruption of Baal Zebul which means uh, Baal the prince, and basically the Israelites are like, no, we're not calling him that, we'll call him Baal Zebub, which means Lord of the Flies. And so it's kind of a, a nickname they give him, that's why he's referred to as that. And Ahaziah's first response in times of crisis is to run to the false god. And it's not just a false god um, in Baal Zebub, it's of Ekron, it says, the god of Ekron. And Ekron was a Philistine city. You may have heard of the Philistines, you know anything about the history of God's people. Who spent a lot of time beating up Philistines and defeating them? David. (laughs) David, this great king in the past, defeated the Philistines. They were the enemies. They subdued them. And now the leader of God's people is running to them and their false god for counsel and wisdom. This is just a terrible situation. Ahaziah is consulting God's enemies, Israel's enemies, to find out what's going to happen. He believes that Baal Zebul 
is the one who's going to tell him about the future, tell him about, is he going to be healed? Is he going to get well? That's where he's wanting to. His ultimate hope is not in the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who saved him, the one who led them out of um, slavery. He's run off somewhere else. He hasn't learned anything from the life of his father, who did the same thing and time and time again got proved wrong over and over again. He hasn't learned anything. Let's, let's, let's read what happens. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise and go and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, it is, because, is it because there is no God in Israel that you inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. Okay, contrary to what the king thinks, the Lord is the one who's in charge of life and death. The, one, the Lord is the one who's sovereign over all things. And we've seen this many times in the life of Elijah. And the Lord speaks to Elijah. And just as we've seen, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, the Tishbite. That's how he's described from where he's from. And he just comes and tells him to go. And he's got to go and bring a message. And he's got to remind the king that there is only one God, the Lord of Israel, and that he's going to die from his injuries. And so this is deja vu for Elijah. Once again, he's got to go and confront a king for his failure to honor the Lord and be faithful to him. And so Elijah goes and he meets the messengers who are on their way to go to Ekron to consult Baal. And he comes as a prophet of the Lord and he comes and meets them. And he asks them this question, is it because there's no God in Israel? And that actually comes up three times in the passage. Look out for that, that same question. He says, you're going to look for help over there. Is it because you realize, think there's no God here? Even though he has demonstrated it many times in life that there is. And as always, Elijah is quick to obey the prompting of the Lord. And so we come to our second question. How does Ahaziah respond to God's word? Because Elijah is going to bring it to him. How does Ahaziah respond? It says in verse 5, the messengers return to the king and he said to them, why have you returned? And they said, there came a man to meet us. And he said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord. It is, because, is it because there is no God in Israel that you send to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you've gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, ah, oh, it's Elijah the Tishbite. <laughs> Just by that description, I know who this chap is. So the king's messengers return to deliver the prophet's message, which is interesting because the messengers have been sent by the king. The king is the one with ultimate authority in the land. He's in charge. He has life and death. He can start wars. He can do all sorts of stuff. And he sends his message, you're going to Ekron, go and talk to Baal. Along the way, they meet one man with a hairy cloak. And he says, go back, tell the king he's going to die. What do they do? Who do they obey? They obey the king or the prophet? They obey the prophet, which means they recognize who had the greater authority. They recognize that actually it's not the king who holds the authority. It's the Lord that holds the authority. And Elijah represents that. So when Elijah says, go back and tell your king, if they, were, if they thought the king was more powerful, they said, no, we're on our way to Ekron. See you, mate. But they didn't. They turned around and they went back and they delivered the message to the king, which wasn't a fun, happy message. By the way, you're going to die. 
That was effectively the message they had to deliver. But that's what they did. So it's reported back to Ahaziah. And he's, he's like, who sold you? Who sent you? Who told you to come back? And they describe this chap. And they say, oh, it must be Elijah. He's obviously heard of Elijah, probably maybe from his parents. They probably didn't speak about him favorably, considering all the things Elijah and the runnings they had. But he knew that actually the message was from Elijah. Now, we've got a a point here for the king. What's the king going to do? How's the king going to respond? He's going to consult over here. This false god will go over there. And the the, the message has been sent back by Elijah saying, nope, tell the king he's going to go. How's he going to respond to this? Is he going to repent? Is he going to beg for mercy? Is he going to cry out? Let's see what happens. Verse 9. I'll call this bit, send out the guards, part 1. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, Let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Okay, the implied thing there is, is is Elijah the man of God? Yes or no? Yes, because fire came down from heaven. So rather than repenting, the king says, right, I'm going to send out the guard. And he sends out an officer with 50 soldiers. If that's not intimidating, I don't know what it is to capture one guy, one hairy bloke. And the king thinks he can control and intimidate and capture and coerce the prophet of the Lord. He thinks his earthly resources and authority is enough to control God. And Elijah, this time he doesn't run. Last time he was threatened, we saw him running from Jezebel. When Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you, he legged it. And we've looked at that. This time, he doesn't run. And he's on a hilltop. This should like... This should like put memories kind of feelers in our head when was the last time Elijah was on a big hilltop well one he met the Lord the time before that what happened he had a showdown with Baal and the Lord sent fire to him oh we've been here before and so Elijah calls down fire from heaven and the soldiers are consumed look at us now imagine we're we're all coming out right Elijah everyone's dead and Elijah's still sitting there what happens? The king must by now be like, do you know what? I'm in over my head here. I'll call this section, send out the guards, part two. And the king, verse 11, sent to him another captain of 50 men with his 50. And he answered and said to him, oh man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered then, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. So, King Ahaziah, in the response to the death of 50 of his soldiers and their officer, decides to do the same thing again. He is stiff-necked and stubborn. So he sends another 50, obviously hoping this time that there will be a different outcome. But the same thing happens. Fire comes down from heaven, They're consumed by fire as well. The king by now, you're like, come on, three strikes, mate. You must. You're on your last one. You must work this out. What does the king do? I call this send out the guards, part three. Verse 13, and the king sent the the captain of a third 50 with his 50. If you were that captain, 
I'm not sure you're thinking about your life expectancy at that point and actually, oh my goodness, what? He's doing what? And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, oh man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men with their 50s. But now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him, do not be afraid. So he arose and went down with him to the king. So Ahaziah has just tipped over the edge from crazy to crazy, and he has sent out another 50 men with their officer to try and capture Elijah. I read somewhere the definition of insanity is trying to do the same thing but expecting a different result. I mean, this guy is, is Looney Tunes. He's just sent out another 50. The first two 50s got want by fire. Do you really think God's run out of fire? But he's sending them out. But the difference is the third captain takes a different approach. Rather than trying to order Elijah, rather than trying to control him, rather than trying to coerce him, rather than trying to use authority to say we're more powerful than you, he comes in humility. He humbles himself. He comes on his knees and he begs for mercy and he begs for his life, recognizing that Elijah has the authority for God to take it. He recognizes he's not in charge, he's not in control, and he humbles himself. He does what the king hasn't done. The captain of the third 50 is an example to the king. He's doing what is right when approaching the Lord. He's coming on his knees. He's coming in humility. He's coming saying, actually, have mercy on me because I know you're in control. You hold my life in your hands. There's nothing I can do about it. And in the response to the captain's humility, the angel of the Lord tells Elijah to go to the king. There's something about humility that touches the heart of God. There's something about recognizing who God is and recognizing who you are before him that touches his heart. And the Lord is drawn to it. And we see that in the life of this captain, this nameless captain, who then not only intercedes for himself, what does he do? He saves the life of his 50 men as well. And actually, because he's shown mercy, they also receive mercy and they are not consumed. So this brings us to our third question. How does the Lord respond to the king's pride? How does the Lord respond to the king's pride? Well, let's pick up verse 16. It says this. And he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to acquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became the king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So, once again, Elijah has this message delivered. This time he does it in person. He delivers the word of the Lord. And the implication from his question there is there no God in Israel, there is a God in Israel. And Elijah was his prophet and Elijah delivers the word of the Lord that the king will die and he does. Because of his idolatry, worshipping false gods, because of his pride, his refusal to repent, his refusal to beg for mercy, he has gone the same way of his father before him. That he has, because of his pride, he has faced judgment, he hasn't repented, he hasn't shown humility before God. He has refused to humble himself. He's refused to acknowledge that the Lord is the God of Israel and not Baal. He dies. 
And that is the end of his story. And it says he is replaced by Jehoram, which is his brother, because he had no sons, which means him in his line is just ended there. And so there was a judgment just on him on his life, but actually he doesn't carry on in terms of the line of the king. There is no one to take his place. And so he is just over and the end for him. And the Lord has judged Ahab for his sin, and he's died. He's judged Ahaziah for his sin, and he's died. The one person who we haven't kind of covered yet, and as we're going to finish the series next week, I'll just close out this loop now, is that Jezebel was also spoken words of judgment by Elijah. And uh, in, go back into Kings 1, uh, King, 1 Kings 21. The Lord said um, to him that she said that the the dogs shall eat Jezebel within the wars of Jezreel. And if you skip forward to 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 30, you find the graphic end to Queen Jezebel. She too dies. She comes under the judgment of God. It might be delayed, but it is coming because she refused to humble herself. She refused to repent. And the story goes that she was thrown out of a high window of a tower. It's a bit graphic. She hit the ground so hard that she splatted. Blood went everywhere. And her blood was licked up by the dogs just to fulfill the prophecy. And her bones were chewed to the point that when they went to bury her, there wasn't enough of her body left to bury, which was the ultimate shame and humiliation that she couldn't even be buried with any kind of sense of sort of honor or anything like that. Her body wasn't even there. She was completely destroyed. And that was um, her fate, fate for standing before the Lord and refusing to repent and humble herself and so there is that uh, lesson there for us that actually those who refuse to uh, repent to humble themselves will face judgment and regardless of how much time it takes it's coming because the Lord is God the Lord is the one who judges so that's the end of our story today let's look a little bit of application and then we will end so three things I want to look at a couple of questions and then we're going to get our eyes on Jesus the first one is this where are you looking for direction and help where are you looking for direction and help? Where do you go when life is tough and things are getting on top of you? Where do you go for help, meaning, understanding? Where do you go to find peace, for find purpose? Where do you go to answer the answers to questions in life and when crises come? Because in the st our story today, King Hazziah faced crisis in life. He had a kind of a work-based crisis in the rebellion of a nation that they were kind of meant to be in control of, and a personal crisis in terms of his health uh, and well-being, and his response was immediately to go to a false god and worship there and find his hope there. And yes, for us now in the West, in the 21st century West, we have so many places that we can go to find help, to find meaning, to find purpose, to try and make sense of life. We have political leaders and their ideologies that we can go after and say, we believe in that, we trust in that. If we follow that, things will be all right. Things will get better. We have celebrities and their endorsements and the fact that they, they project a life that says, this is how you should live, this is what you should do, and everything will be all right. We have self-help gurus and their books and blogs that we read and consume. Think, if we follow that, if we do that, things will work out for us. We have social media influencers, and we have lifestyle coaches who have fitness plans and diet plans and health plans. We have the latest, current, loudest social cause that says, if we get behind this and we shout about this, everything will be all right. The world will get better as a result. We have um, hobbies and social groups as well as gorging ourselves on food or alcohol or sex or something that says, if we do this, we'll find some meaning and purpose and satisfaction in life. 
And many of those things are not necessarily bad, but none of them are ultimate. None of them are the things that we should put our trust in. None of them will save. None of them will ultimately have power in our lives to get us right with God and to give us true meaning and purpose. And we wrongly believe in the the things of this world will save us when they won't. And only the Lord God revealed to us in Jesus Christ is the one who can do that. He's the only one who can save us. He's the only one who can deliver us. He's the only one who can carry us through crisis and things that come into our lives and personal problems and issues we face. He's the only one who can give us true meaning. And it doesn't matter what that is, whether we have health issues or relational issues or work issues or emotional or mental issues, whatever they are, only Christ is the one who can ultimately help us through. Now, there are practical things we can do. If you're sick, go see a doctor. But that's not where your hope should be. That's not where your hope should be in Jesus above everything. And he's the one that we should be looking to. And we are to humble ourselves to him. And we are to cry out to him for mercy. And so here's a couple of just diagnostic questions to ask yourself. When trouble comes... And it will, if you haven't already worked that out over the last two years. (laughs) When trouble comes into your life, what do you run to and what do you withdraw from? What do you run to and what do you withdraw from? And these questions will reveal a lot about where your heart is. What do you run to and what do you withdraw from? In the day of trouble. Now, I've been in this kind of pastoral ministry. It'll be 19 years in April. I've been doing this in multiple churches, and I've noticed there are two types of people in church. There are those who run to God and those who run from God when the day of trouble comes. There are those who run to God's people, and there are those who run from God's people. And it's that binary. When trouble comes into life, whether it be a personal issue, whether it's something that you've done to create a problem for yourself, or it's something that someone else has done, or something that's happened outside you that's come into you and hit you, there's two places to run. You can run to God or you can run from God. And so the question today is, which way are you going to run? I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what's in your life personally at this moment. But I I do know there are two places you can run. You can run to God or you can run from God. And you can call the from God anything. There's loads of things that can be. But when you run to God, there's only one place it can be. And so I want to challenge you today. Where are you doing with that? Where do you go to when things are hard, things are difficult? Are you running to him? Are you running to have time with him, to his presence, to a place of crying out in Uh, faith and repentance and mercy and saying God come move in my situation be here I'm going to put my trust in you no matter what happens in life second question how are you responding to the word of God how are you responding to the word of God we have the word of God Jesus Christ, he's been revealed to us, he is the word of God. We then have the word of God as our Bible where we learn about Jesus, where he's been, been written down for us. How are you responding to God's revelation? If you're not a Christian here, we love having you here with us. I want to just lay some stuff out. Jesus Christ is God the Son, second member of the Trinity. He is God's revelation to us. He is a kind, gracious, loving, just king. He tells us, he calls us to repent, which means turn away from living our own life. Turn away from our sin, which is all the things we do to offend him and all the things we should do that we shouldn't do that come before a holy and righteous God. And we are to put our faith and trust in him. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was sinless. 
He died on our death on a cross in our place for our sin. He then rose bodily from death and ascended into heaven where he rules and reigns now. And one day we'll come back in victory to judge all mankind. And the reality is judgment is coming for all of us. And you can be in two places. You can be with Jesus or you can be outside Jesus. And one place is good and one place is bad. What if you're a Christian here? And you think, well, I've already made that decision. I follow Jesus. I've got my faith and trust in him. Well, the question is, are you studying and listening to God's word? Are you learning more and more about it? When you hear God's word, are you doing what it says? Because Ahaziah could say, I heard the word of God. But what he didn't do was respond to it in any meaningful way. In fact, he rejected it. And if you're sitting here today and you've listened to this, and you've heard the word of God being preached to you. You too have heard the word of God. It's how are you going to react to it? Are you doing what it says you should be doing? Are you responding joyfully to the God's word? Even if it's to stop doing things, start doing things, we are to do that. Are we repenting? Are we realizing actually we're putting our faith and trust in other things? Do we know we have to turn around? Are we being obedient in areas of our life? In terms of fleeing from sin, being part of a local church, getting baptized as a believer, giving financially to the work of God in this nation. Are we serving? Are we forgiving those around us so that we may um, live right before the Lord as he has forgiven us? If you know some of those things are in your life and they're kind of being prompted now by the Holy Spirit, you don't have to dig them up. He'll be, he's very good at this, Holy Spirit. He'll just nudge you say, this area. You need to get right with God. You need to repent. You need to say, God, forgive me for that. I'm sorry, you need to name it. You need to say, I'm going to turn around. I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to go the opposite way. And then you walk in the goodness of that, knowing God's forgiveness and being empowered by the Spirit. How are you responding to the Word of God? Last thing, and then we will finish. Jesus is a better Elijah. We always want to finish with Jesus. Jesus is a better Elijah. Jesus came not as a prophet and God's representative, but he came as God's Word and as God himself and as the prophet of the Lord. The final authoritative word of God. He came to deliver a message not just to a king, but for all mankind. He brought a message of a relationship with him, of hope, forgiveness, and life in its fullness. Jesus came down and humbled himself and made all this happen by dying in our place and rising and taking the judgment we deserve. He's the one who now stands and makes an offer to us. Come to him, humble yourself. Give up trying to be in charge. Recognize you're not in charge and you need help. He loves you with a never-ending love and wants to know you personally for eternity. Come to him. We're going to finish now. Do you want to stand? I'm going to pray. The band are going to come back. We're going to have a bit of a time of worship by way of response. And I just want to give you a moment just to do some business with the Lord because I think there'll be those amongst us who've been prompted by what's been said, who knows, who know they've been nudged on certain things, certain areas. And I think the Lord wants to do some business with you now. It's always good in my experience to respond to God in the moment. So don't wait till oh, I'll get home, I'll do that tomorrow, I'll do it later. Respond to him now. Say stuff to him now. Deal with things now rather than waiting time because the devil will do everything he can to stop you coming to Jesus. And if it means putting it off, he'll take that. So maybe you want to close your eyes, open your hands, and I'm just going to pray and lead us in a moment. 
of prayer and repentance and putting our trust in him. Lord Jesus, we start by just want to honor you as king over everything. We want to say you are high and lifted up. You are the king of kings and lord of lords. You are the exalted one. You are the one ruling and reigning in heaven right now and sovereign over everything. Lord God, we want to thank you that you came down, that you humbled yourself and came to earth as a man. You were born as a baby. You lived a perfect life. Lord God, we want to thank you for your death in our place on that cross. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you took the judgment that we deserved so that we don't have to face it, Lord. We want to thank you that you rose bodily from death, you ascended into heaven, and then you are ruling and reigning now. Lord, we thank you that you sent your spirit to be with us, to empower us for life and service, to to remind us that we are part of your family, that we have a Father in heaven who loves us. And Lord God, and as we stand today, God, we want to just say, we trust you, we worship you, we say you are the ultimate, you are the one we put our faith in. We ask God that you forgive us, when we run to other things to find meaning and purpose and understanding, when we look to the things of this world as if they're the ones that are going to save us, but they're not, they're empty, they're powerless, they can't do what you can do. Lord, we say, please forgive us for that. Lord God, we we say, forgive us where we neglect your word, where it's kind of, it's an afterthought, it's something we, we, we do if we've got time rather than priorities prioritizing time reading and studying and learning and meditating and thinking about your word God forgive us when we read it and then just flagrantly disobey we know what you say and we just do something different God we ask forgive us Lord we just humble ourselves today and say you are God and we are not you are the one who rules and reigns over all things we do not Lord God and we say come fill us with your spirit now Lord fill us with your spirit that we might know that that we might know that we are loved We are cherished, God, and remind us that you are the one who's ruling over all things, and only in you we can find hope. We love you and we praise you. And God's people said, Amen.